Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13 and get Matthew chapter 26. Zechariah 13 and Matthew chapter 26. Now, Lord willing, we're actually going to finish Zechariah 13 and next week we'll be in Zechariah 14. Can you believe that? We're, we are finishing this up and... What we're going to do next is we're going to finish up Zechariah 13. And then our next study that we're going to tackle is Psalm 119. We're going to start looking through Psalm 119. Because, you know, at Grace Baptist Church, our desire is to teach the word of God. Amen. But what can happen in a teaching church like this between discipleship and all of the work that we do to know the Bible is we can be an academic church. And the Bible doesn't tell us that we're supposed to know the Bible as much as it tells us we're supposed to love it. And so what Psalm 119 is going to help us to do is to develop a love for God's word. So I'm excited about that. So as soon as we finish Zechariah chapter 14, we're going to dive into Psalm 119. And then on Sunday nights, what we're going to do is we're going to do a new series on how to study the Bible. And so we're going to be going through all of the principles of Bible study that I'm just telling you, even if you went through this, I don't know, all the years ago that we did it, this is going to be different. We've added to it. We fleshed it out. How many of you honestly would like to know God's word better? Well, if you'll commit to these Sunday night lessons, you're going to learn how to study the Bible. We're very excited about that. I'm not exactly sure of the date for that because I have to finish Zechariah. And so that's in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And only God knows when that's going to happen. It should happen in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for your word and the opportunity to preach it and teach it. Lord, we are uh, unworthy of your revelation, and yet you've given it to us. Help us to cherish the things that we learn from your word and help us to understand why you're doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. So get Zechariah chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 26. Let's start reading Zechariah 13 and verse 1. And that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any shall prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. Now, how many of you think that's a pretty extreme response? Right? And if you're here last Sunday night, then you'll understand the reason for that is, here's what prophecy is. It's prophesying the death of the Messiah or the second coming of the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is there. He's not going to die, and he's not coming again. So anything that they say is going to undermine who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus says, I will not tolerate that. That will not happen. And listen, the parents love Jesus so much at that point that they're willing to be obedient to what God says in that moment. That's pretty profound, isn't it? So not only... Is there no more false prophecy, but there are no more idols. The idols are driven out of the land so that you don't even remember their name. And remember what the idolatry is. Look at verse 2. 
And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts. And remember that day, that's the day the Lord returns to rule and reign on the earth, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, that they shall no more be remembered. What are the idols that are in the land? Remember, this is important stuff. That from the time of the Babylonian captivity, when they returned, when Israel, the nation of Israel returned to the land, rebuilt the walls, rebuilt the temple, idolatry has not been a problem among the Jews. They no longer worship false gods. That's not a problem among the Jews. The problem of idolatry is the Christians that came in afterward and put up idols all over the Holy Land and they come and bow before them and worship them. So all of that is going to be removed from the land. And then notice what it says, middle of verse 2. And also, I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. Who's the prophet in the land now? Muhammad. What's the unclean spirit? Allah. All of that will be out of the land when Jesus Christ rules and reigns there. It's all going away. Now, look at the next verse. Verse 4. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one his vision... When he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. So they're no longer going to dress like one of the Old Testament prophets. That age will be over. But he shall say, I am no prophet, I am an husbandman. For man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And we looked at that last week. Now look at verse 6. And one shall say unto him, who is this? The fountain. Verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Isn't that an amazing prophecy of who Jesus Christ is? How many of you, when you read that, you know immediately that's talking about the Messiah? How many of you see that immediately? That would be difficult if you had a modern translation because it changes like the ESV. It changes it. What are these wounds in your back? How many of you think that's different? Right? So what are these wounds, the Bible says, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those which, with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The house of my friends. That's the household of David. That's the people of Israel. They're the ones who wounded him. Remember, they had to wake up the Roman leaders in the middle of the night and convince them to kill Jesus. Because remember, people want a Messiah that is just like them. They want a God that's just like them. In in our world today, people don't want a God who has standards that that people need to uphold. They want a magnetic force. They want some kind of a spiritual field. They want to have crystals and and spiritism as opposed to worshiping the one true God. It's very interesting. Even when they cried, give us Barabbas, what were they wanting? They didn't want the Messiah. They would rather identify with a criminal, with a murderer, than with the God of the universe. It's an amazing thing. And the the Bible says, the question is asked, what are these wounds in your hands? These are the wounds which I received in the house of my friends. I want you to think about something. The house of my friends. When Jesus Christ was crucified, you know, it's probably better to read the next verse. I want you to see this, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. 
So keep your place here in Zechariah. Go to Matthew chapter 26. And look at verse 31. So this is after the upper room. This is after Judas has left to betray him. In verse 30, it says, And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives, and, and then said Jesus unto them, And all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus knew he was going to die, but he also knew he was going to rise again. Isn't that good? So we, now we have... Jesus Christ's interpretation of Zechariah 13 and verse 7. Are you all with me on that? So let's go back to Zechariah 13. And I want to point a couple of things out to you. So at the end of verse 6, it says, Then he shall answer those things which I, I'm sorry, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Someone pointed this out in one of the commentaries I was reading. I think it might have been John Phillips. And he said this. When Jesus Christ was crucified, we know that all of his disciples ran, right? Except for John. John was the only one that stayed. Peter denied him. But when Jesus Christ gathered them, they had 120. They had 120. After Pentecost, Peter's preaching at Pentecost, there were more than 3,000 that were added. Who are these 3,000? This is such an interesting thought. His friends who were scattered when he died. But when he rose from the dead, they came back to his message. I had never thought of that. How many of you would say you'd you'd never really? Who were these 3,000? These were people that had heard his message. They had seen him. they They had believed on him up to a point when he was crucified, when he was smitten, they scattered. But then the Holy Spirit came. The preaching of the word of God with the whole, the, the preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection with the, accompanied by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And now these people are drawn back to Jesus to receive Christ and be added to his church. Isn't that a blessing? And so this passage, it's so profound. But I also want you to notice something that Jesus did not say, a part of the verse that he did not quote. Verse 7 again. Awake, O sword. Man, of course, verse 16, we could meditate on verse 16 for a long time. Jesus Christ was crucified, and it was the Jews that were calling for his crucifixion. The instrument was the Roman Empire. But notice what it says in verse 7. When we preach or when we study God's Word, one of the things that always amazes me, so like these verses, I've read these verses hundreds of times. We've referenced these next few verses hundreds. I'm not exaggerating. Hundreds of times. But when you actually preach through the text and you study every individual word, I want you to see something that I missed. Y'all might have noticed it. I missed it. Look at what it says in verse 7. Awake, O sword, against... What's that next word? 
my shepherd. My. Who is speaking here? God himself. My shepherd. And of course, we know that's Jesus Christ. Are you all with me? We all know that that's Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he lays down his life for the sheep. We know that this is speaking about that. But notice what God said. It says, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now, I want us to stop right there because the next statement is, is very, very important. But the Bible says that, you know what, let's, let's look at it. Zechariah, keep your place in Zechariah 13. Go to Acts chapter, forgive me, it's either 3 or 4. I will find it here real quick. Yes, so it's Acts chapter 2, and look at verse 22. Peter's sermon at Pentecost, ye men of Israel. You see, that's the house of his friends. Y'all with me on this? Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now look at this. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So notice what it says. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So he was, these are the wounds that he received in the house of his friends. And yet the next verse, verse 7, says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. They could not have done it had it not been by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ, the reason that he took on flesh and bones was so that... He could receive those wounds in the house of his friends. Now, do the, do the Jewish people that killed him, are they alleviated from their responsibility? No, no. And yet, God said, awake, O sword. Go back to Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against my shepherd. And I'm so thankful. Isn't it horrible that this is what had to happen? How many of you would have preferred if Jesus didn't need to die? There's no other way. There was no other way. But listen, how many of you believe that Jesus is God? This verse, verse 7, is one of the best verses proving the deity of Christ in the Bible. And I want you to see this. Notice what it says in verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. My fellow. That word fellow means one who is like me. How about that? Jesus Christ is God. When God the Father 
said, awake the sword. And, and don't let that word sword. How many of you know Jesus was not killed with a sword? But don't, the Bible uses that sword as, listen, as governmental authority to put to death. The Bible says in the book of Romans that God has given to government the sword. So whether it's an electric chair or whether it's a lethal injection or whether it's firing squad, that's the sword. Okay? So Zechariah 13, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow. Do you think that God is trying to emphasize something here? You need to understand who this fountain is. You need to understand this fountain that has opened up, this fountain is Jesus Christ. Then notice what it says. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. That's how much Jesus Christ Christ quoted. And he used that passage to talk about his disciples, but not only his disciples, but also those Jews that were following him. But then notice what happens. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. What did the Jews say? Let his blood be on our head. On our heads, then what did they say? And on our children's heads. On our heads and on our children's heads. And you know what happened then? Jerusalem was destroyed. Almost all of the Jews were killed. And this has been repeated throughout the centuries. Folks, we need to understand something. Our individual behavior in this age can influence our children, but there is no sin past. If I sin, Jacob is not responsible for that sin. Amen? Because of individual accountability. that He is a free moral agent before God. I am a free moral agent before God. But whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament times, nations, listen, nations, the people... And the children in a nation bear the brunt of the bad decisions of their leaders. There are children starving all over the world because they have terrible leadership in their government. You understand that the state of Ohio can produce enough food to feed the entire world. How many of you know that? Why is anyone hungry? Why is anyone hungry? Because of bad leadership. And sometimes people, they look at what happens. God pronounces judgment on a nation because of their leaders. And the the natural consequences of their behavior happens. And then people say, how could a loving God do this? God didn't do it. God did build consequences into the universe. How many of you, when you were a child, decided that you wanted to find out whether or not the iron was hot? How many of you ever did that? Right? Did your mom tell you not to do that? Probably. I don't know. She didn't like you very much. (laughs) My sister talked my brother into putting his hand on the iron. And he has a skin graft to this day. She's so mean. My sisters. Holy cow. No, they were little. But she's still mean. But anyway, those are consequences that are built into the universe. You know, some kid has to touch the stove. They have, they, they just have. To. How many of you, you had children that had to touch the stove? They, they, had, they had to do that, right? 
Those are consequences built into the universe. Let me ask you, when, when you, when your child touches the stove and gets burned, did God do that? No, no. And God has warned Israel. You can read the whole Old Testament. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. What do they do? Touch the stove. And the children bear the responsibility for it. Now, let me say this. We as parents, when we establish things in our homes, like responding to authority, one of the things that we would tell our kids all the time, don't correct adults. Is, is there anything worse? You're going along in a 10-year-old. No, that's not right. Shut up. And what we have, we have a culture that believes that children are wiser than their parents. Is that true? I mean, it's true that people believe that, but is it true that children are wiser than their parents? And I know some of you are thinking, well, sometimes. Yeah, not very often. Not very often. And so it's very important that we as parents, if I want my kids to do well, I teach them to respond properly to authority. When a child doesn't respond to authority, the Bible calls that child a fool. If they can't receive instruction, they're a fool, right? And so we as parents, when we teach our children to obey biblically or to respond to biblical instruction, we're helping our children to have a better life. How many of you have a boss? Raise your hands. How many of you have a boss, right? Does your boss expect you to do what he says? I don't want to. Who, who do you think you are? You're not the boss of me. Well, actually, I am. You're fired. See, when we teach our children to respond to authority, it helps them through their entire lives. Helps them through their entire lives. So when we teach our children to disobey what God says, and you understand, you teach them to disobey by not requiring them to obey. What you're doing is you're reinforcing their bad behavior by refusing to give consequences. Remember that Eli's sons, the Bible says he refused to restrain them. They ended up dying because of it. Eli is Eli's responsibility. So we as parents, we can influence the trajectory of our children by the way that we influence them to good or influence them to evil by the way we point them to Jesus or by the way we point them to the world, by the way we establish priorities in their lives, we can influence the trajectory of their future. Are you all with me on this? And yet, God will not hold your children responsible for your sin. How many of you recognize those are two different things that we're talking about? Right? As far as nations, we are responsible for the direction of this nation. We're responsible for it. Because we're citizens. So, so much more could be said there, but let's go on. That's, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Look at verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say the Lord is my God. What it's going to take for the nation of Israel to respond to Jesus is for two-thirds of them to die. That's what it's going to take. Two-thirds of them are going to die. 
And God is so gracious. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Sorry, it's Matthew 24. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. This is Jesus predicting the future. And accept those days, and whenever you see those days, look for the tribulation. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Do you see that? All right, so back to verse 22. And accept those days should be shortened. So what do you think it means, except those days should be shortened? What do you think that means? That the days are going to be shortened. If the days are not shortened, look at what would happen. And except those days should be shortened, there should, what do those next two verses say? No flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. All right, hold your place here. Go to Isaiah Chapter 45, and look at verse 4. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4. When you get there, say amen. All right. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, what are those next two words? Okay. So two different uh, different uses of the word elect. Jesus is the elect, and Israel is the elect. All right, so go back to Matthew 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. But here's the problem. The Bible has predicted the exact number of days in the tribulation. The exact number of days. And it's seven years worth of days. So that can't change. So how in the world are the elect able to be saved? Go to Revelation chapter 8. Look at verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened. Look at this. And the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So what does he do? He shortens the day... By a third. The number of the days stays the same. The duration of the day is shortened by how much? How much? All right, go back to Zechariah chapter 13. Verse 8, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts... Therein shall be cut off and die. What's the rest of the verse say? Let's read it out loud together. But the third shall be left therein. This is the grace of God. 
And you need to understand how bad that tribulation is. If he didn't shorten those days, there would be no one left. He shortens those days. And what ends up happening is, verse 9, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. This is, the, this is what God has wanted all along. Go to um, Isaiah. No, go to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And look at verse 14. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, that's the Hebrews, folks. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear and, and will heal their land. That's what they do. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face. How many of you see that's exactly what happens in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9? That's exactly what happens. Go to Psalm 67. This is what they're praying. Verse 1. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Psalm 67, 1. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That's what happens. Lord, shine your face on us. We need you. You're our God. And he says, you're my people. Do you know what happens then? The fountain of healing is opened. The land is healed. The people are healed. And the kingdom begins. You might be going through a hard time right now. You might be dealing with some things that are very heavy in your life. You know what I can tell you? Just hold on. Just hold on. Jesus Christ has a plan for your life. This world is falling apart. This, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation groans waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And this, this old planet, it's running down. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1. I'll show you something. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Hebrews 1 and verse 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Verse 11. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Listen, this world is running down. 
You know, all this global warming and people trying to figure out what's going on with the world. Let me tell you what's happening. It's waxing old as doth a garment. How many of you have some clothes that have worn out? That's what's happening to the world. That's what's happening to the world. It's running down, and one day, it's going to be over. Just hold on. Just hold on. Jesus Christ is coming back. Is it going to be in our lifetime? I don't know. It could be. It could be today. It could be today. But let me tell you this. God's promises are true. So just as you see all these amazing prophecies that are being tied together in Zechariah and Revelation and Psalms and, and Second Chronicles and Isaiah, and you, you, you put all that together and you just go, my goodness, this is a supernatural book. You can see all of the things that need to happen and have needed to happen, they all fall into place. They just all keep falling into place. So I want you to step back. How many of you really believe that God has a plan for your life? Would you raise your hands? You really believe that? God has a plan for your life. Well, then what are you supposed to do? Understand God's will is the same for everyone. You need to find out from the Bible what God's will is. First of all, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. So God's will is the same for everybody. God's plan is different. So how do you find God's plan? By doing God's will. As you do God's will, God begins revealing his plan. How many of you are in a place in your life you never thought you would be? Would you raise your hands for good or bad? You're at a place you never thought you would be. Now, it's very interesting. Sometimes that's because you went against God's plan. Sometimes it's because you went against God's plan. Other, God just wanted you to be where you are for a specific reason. And some of the funerals I've gotten to preach, I, I, I'm there and it's just a sad, sad situation because of the, the death of the person. But dozens of people get saved because of it. In the course of eternity, a person dying 10 years early doesn't really matter very much. Now, for, if it's you, it matters, right? But, but, in, but seriously, if eternity is real and God can bring people to himself by you going into eternity 10 years early. How many of you think that's God's grace? Isn't it horrible that you have to be with Jesus early? No, it's sad for us that are left behind. And I'm not going to diminish that pain at all. It's very real. It's very real. But when we understand that God has a plan for the world that's obviously revealed in Zechariah chapter 13. Well, then we have to understand that God has a plan for our lives as well. And what are we supposed to do? Just hold on. Do God's will, and he'll begin revealing his plan to you. It's fantastic to see when God does that. Amen? It is wonderful to see when God does that. And then we submit to it. We yield to it. We say, God... You are the authority in my life. You love me more than I can possibly love myself. Lord, help me to submit to your will. And you know what sometimes that will is? Listen, listen, listen. Don't touch the stove. See, God's plan for us, there are some things he says, don't do this. Don't do this. Other things he says, do this. If you want to be happy, do this. How about we get into God's word and we find out what those things are? 
Now, the don'ts, that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you go to heaven. There's one do. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the do. Amen? But then as believers, if you want to have a good life, then don't be a fool. Don't touch the stove. You might be thinking, Pastor, this application at the end of the message is a little weird. Do you know what it goes back to for me? Two things in my text. The way that God has revealed what he's going to do to the world, shortening the world so the elect can live. And you look, God has a plan and that plan's going to happen. And then at the end of verse 7, and then he's going to put his hand on the little ones. Wow. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. So we as Christians, the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is. Folks, let's do good. In Sunday school, we talked about having a relationship with Jesus Christ so that we can be a witness, so that we can tell other people what's going on in our lives and what God is doing. The Lord's coming back. We don't know when. So until then, remember, if we submit to God's will, He'll reveal us His plan. And then in our own homes, let's make sure our little ones have the benefit of God's instruction, not the world's instruction. And then for the rest of us, when you don't know what's going on in your life and you look around and you say, God, I don't understand, what people often do in that moment is they run away from God's, listen, they run away from God's will because they can't find his plan. You can only find his plan when you submit to his will. I have seen so many people when they go through trouble, they run away from God. How many of you have ever seen good come from that? No. So if we believe all this stuff about Israel and what God is going to do in Zechariah 13, we have to believe that if if God's will for Israel is that they turn to him, Remember, it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's a quote from the book of Ezekiel. That's God's will for his people, as well as God's will for individuals. So if that's God's will, and then the plan has to be that two-thirds of them die so that his will for the rest can be achieved, then we have to understand that God's will for us is only for our good. And as we move away from God's will... What happens is we, have, we experience those consequences that are built into the universe. And if you want to get out from under those consequences, then get back under God's will. Are you with me on that? If you want to get out from under the consequences, get out, I'm sorry, get under God's will. Now, let me, let me just finish with this. You might still have to endure the consequences of your plan. Are you all with me on this? Right? You mess up, those consequences are still there. But here's what God can do. God can take that bad and make it good. He can turn it. He can change it for you. As you get back under his will, his plan will correct so many of those mistakes that you've made in the past. Just believe him. Just trust him. Amen? Just trust him. Thank you, Lord. Help us to understand that what you want to happen will ultimately happen. but that we need to submit to you.